All right, if you have your Bible, uh, open to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, if not, it's okay. I'm going to put it on the screen for us. And, um, and in 1 Thessalonians, we've been following along. Paul was uh, with this little church. Uh, he's like, went to the town of Thessalonica, and through preaching the word of God, hearts were opened up. People began responding, having an encounter with Jesus. The word of God grew in their community, and uh, there's a little church born. Paul, um, as we'll be reminded of, and as we've seen in the past, was then chased out of town, okay, by the religious leaders in Thessalonica. The, he was teaching in the synagogue, and before long, the Jewish community there was saying, we don't like you, talking about this uh, good news in Jesus. And so they chased him out of town. He had to leave. He's dying to hear what happened back with them. And so he's giving them all of these um, beautiful, like, instructions and thoughts, and he's just like bearing his heart and saying how much he loves them. It's a very like Mr. Rogers feel, and I love that. And it's going to get more Mr. Rogers-y here before it turns. It's going to take a dark turn though, okay? So it's going to get really sweet, and then it's going to get tough, okay? So we'll start in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Here's what Paul says. He says, since we were torn away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Can't you just picture Mr. Rogers saying that? I mean, absolutely. He would say that. He loves it. So, um, I, he's starting this with, um, with some harsh language, okay? So he's saying, all right, we were with you, but he's saying we were torn away from you, okay? We were with you, we loved you, but we were torn away. And that word, the, the, the Greek word that he actually uses has the word orphan in it, okay? And so this is kind of like, he's saying we were like a family, we were together, but then we were forced to be sort of like orphaned from you. And he's just sharing his Mr. Rogers heart for this church and is saying, we loved you so much, but it's like we got ripped away from our own family. Like he has this, this love, this concern for them. Previous to this, he's been using like familial language to talk about his relationship with them. So he says earlier in chapter two, when we were with you, we were like nursing mothers with you, right? We just, we nurtured you and we just gave you our whole selves. And we just had this like family bond, like a mother with their child. Um, and then after that, he talks about how we were like persistent, loving fathers with you, right? Just encouraging you, exhorting you on. And so there's this beautiful family bond that he's sharing. And now he's saying, when we got run out of town and we were forced to be away from you guys, it was like being an orphan, right? And, and I love that he says like being orphaned because he's not saying it was like we were the parents that got pulled away from you, but he's like, we felt like little kids that were orphaned, pulled away from their families. He's putting himself in a position of saying, we were with you. And it was not just that you needed me and all of my insight and all the teaching I could give you, but he's saying, no, just like a little kid, like we needed you. And we were pulled away from our family. And he's feeling the, um, the pain and the, the hurt from that. And so he made this massive effort to come and see them. So he's saying, we, like, we endeavored the more eagerly to, um, to come and see you with great desire to come and see you face to face. He's kind of piling up these terms. Um, we endeavored to see you. Like, the word means we made every effort to come and see you. And they endeavored eagerly. Like the, the word means like even much more. So he's just piling it on. We wanted so badly. We made every effort, did everything that we possibly could to come back and see you with this great desire in our heart. Okay. But then there's a problem. He wanted to see them so bad. He worked so hard. And what happened at the end of the day is Satan hindered him from getting to be with these people. All right. 
Now this just turned, like, like did it get quiet for a second? Um, we're going to do some snake handling in a second, okay? Some of you are like, like, oh no, the Satan sermon, we knew it was coming. But Satan is, uh, throughout the Bible, he's depicted as the enemy of God, okay? And so you start in the garden, and God is trying to do something in this world. He created the world lovingly, and Satan comes in, and he tempts Adam and Eve, leads them away from what God is trying to do. Um, you see Satan kind of throughout, at different points he pops up. You see him in um, Job. He's, he's like tempting, uh, like trying to get Job to renounce his faith. Um, we see him with Judas, like Jesus is there and, and Satan enters into Judas and he's opposing Jesus, handing Jesus over to be betrayed. Here we see Satan hindering the work that uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy are trying to do. Um, eventually all the way through to Revelation, we see Satan there opposing, accusing, trying to hinder everything God's trying to do. And it's a reminder that we have to come back to from time to time, that we're going to be trying to do the things that God wants us to do, that God calls us to do, and we find life in these things, but there is this enemy, right, that is opposing us, that is resisting us, that is making it a lot harder for us to do the things that God's calling us to do. So there's a reminder, right? There's an enemy, there's opposition. It's going to be tricky. What I find is interesting in this, um, two things I find interesting in this. One is, what did it actually look like? So Satan's like, okay, Paul's got this ministry, this mission he's trying to do. He's trying to tell people about good news in Jesus. I'm going to hinder that. How did Satan do that? Paul's giving Satan credit for hindering him. How did he do it? He took religious people in the synagogue and got them to be rule keepers and to be opposed to the good news in Jesus and to chase them out of town. Isn't that interesting? So it's Satan who is opposing the work of God, but who's actually doing Satan's work in this instance? It is the religious community. The ones that have the word of God, they'd read from the Old Testament and they were the ones that came and said, okay, you're preaching this good news of healing, restoration, forgiveness, joy in Jesus, and we don't want anything to do with that. Now, some of us are like, boy, that's harsh to think of religious people doing Satan's work, right? But there's others of us, many in this room I know, that are like, yeah, that checks out. Religious people doing the work of Satan, I've experienced that. We experience this church hurt. And it's just this reminder again, right, of he ultimately attributes it to like, hey, Satan's opposing the work that God is doing. In this case, he used religious people. Man, it's a call for us to remember what does God want us to be doing in this world? Is it, is, it, is it the opposition thing? Is it, no, 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 I'm the only one that can speak accurately about God? Is it holding people at arm's length, or are we diving into this? And so there's the one thing I find interesting. Satan hinders them by using this religious crew. The second thing that I find really interesting is, um, what is Satan hindering them from? He's hindering them from being with each other. Like, I love that what Paul wants so much, right? He's not talking about, like, a mass conversion. He's not talking about the, like, golden sermon that, like, he's saying, what Satan did his best to hinder me from doing was being with you guys. I wanted to be back there. I wanted to be face-to-face -face with you. I wanted to spend time with you. I wanted to be able to invest relationally in you. And that, I guess, apparently mattered enough to the enemy that he's like, nope, Paul, we're not going to allow that to happen. And Paul's like, I just made every effort. I tried again and again and again to try to get there because it matters so much that I could just be with you and just invest in you and just spend that time building each other up spiritually. That was what Paul was striving after, and it's what Satan resisted. It's fascinating to me. I, I've read um, Paul, Paul in 1 Timothy will talk about um, 
uh, there's a couple of people that are sowing discord and they're um, opposing the work of the Lord. And Paul's like, you know, it, it got so bad that we had to put them outside of the church, okay? So it's like they're, they're trying to cause this division. They're trying to ruin it. And so it said, hey, we need to remove you for a time. And he calls it putting them outside the church or he says, handing them over to Satan. It's like, we're taking you away from God's people, hoping that that like will jar you enough that you'll come to your senses and say, okay, hang on. No, no, no. I do need to be back with God's people. And so he's saying, man, this is a really, intense punishment. We had to pull people away from their church family, right? But meanwhile, I think it's interesting how quick we are to do this to ourselves, aren't we, right? We sideline ourselves from the church family, right? It's like we excommunicate ourselves by, you know, whatever, busyness or priorities or whatever, right? There's good and bad reasons for this, but we do it to ourselves. And Paul's like, man, like it was so bad. I had to do this to them. And meanwhile, we just flippantly do it. And I, I think here too, right? Paul wants to be with them. And he's like, man, I want to be with them so bad. But Satan was hindering me. I just couldn't get there. And I had this thought this week. Man, Satan doesn't have to try that hard anymore, does he? To hinder us from being with each other, right? It, there's all kinds of reasons. And I'll just put it in my own court, okay? It, it is like all it takes is for me to feel comfortable sitting on the couch. Maybe I've got one of my daughters to cuddle up with or something like that, right? And it's like, I don't think I can get away to go hang out with other people, right? Or, or, you know, like a, a new episode or a new season of something drops on Netflix, right? And it's like, well, I guess I'm not going to be investing in people much for a while because I've got a lot of these to watch, right? <laughs> or you happen to notice that, uh, that The Office is still streaming or something like that, right? <laughs> so I, it doesn't take much, I don't think, for Satan to hinder us. I made, I made, a, I made this um, meme to kind of uh, put it in perspective for us. So Satan hindered us from coming to you by releasing a new season of Tiger King, right? It's just like... <laughs> Like, I would love to have been there, but it was just on TV and I couldn't be with you, right? So, all right, I'll take that off. It's so silly. Um, <clears throat> but I just love, man, Paul's heart in this is so cool because it is not like, it is not like the pastor of, um, I'm putting together this massive crusade evangelistic campaign. I'm doing these really big things. He's like, man, I just wanted to be with you. And that was worth Satan's time. It's, it's a reminder to us of how much these things matter. And Paul literally says, right? Like, he says, when... <laughs> What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? So think of what he's saying. When Jesus returns, right? That day that like I comes and I stand before the Lord and I'm in his presence and just think of all the thoughts that are going to go through your head when you're finally standing before the Lord. And Paul's like, man, when I'm there and I'm just, I'm with the Lord and his coming, what is going to be my crown? Like what is going to be my joy? What's going to be the thing that I boast about when I'm standing in the presence of the Lord? And I don't know what would come to your mind without seeing Paul's answer here, but I can tell you for me, it wouldn't be, it's all of you guys, right? It'd be like, Lord, I tried so hard. I really worked at it, right? I, I read my Bible a ton. I read all the theology books. I listened to so many podcasts, Lord. You know, and we're just putting ourselves in an individual frame before the Lord. And Paul's like, man, when I finally stand before the Lord, what I'm going to do, the thoughts that are going to come through my head that are going to bring me the most joy are all of you and your faith and the way that God worked through you, and the way that he worked through us together. I love how others-focused Paul is. And see, that reminds me of this. I think of my faith as my faith, right? I'm responsible for it. I own it. At the end of the day, I'm either praying or I'm not, right? At the end of the day, I'm either loving and serving people or I'm not. And I think of it in individual terms. It's me and it's God. And there's benefit if I can help somebody else. But what I think if I could adopt Paul's mindset, it would look like this. It would be you all are a essential part of my faith 
and vice versa, right? You all are an essential part of my faith because Paul's like, literally when I stand before God at the end, what I'm going to be thinking about is all of you guys. I think we have, we have a tendency to go with sort of like a bodybuilder type of a faith, okay? So like think of a bodybuilder. Think of like Arnold Schwarzenegger before he was governor and all that kind of stuff. And he's just like bodybuilding, okay? So he's putting in the work, all right? And, and like, boy, is he. He's also probably putting in the chemicals too, probably. But, um, <laughs> but definitely putting in the work. And he's just, he's just like bulking up, right? And just like every part of him is just getting dialed in, right? And stronger and stronger. And so there's this bodybuilding thing, right? And it's super impressive but like, I feel like I could say this here. It's also kind of gross, right? Is it? I don't know. There's like a side of you that's like, the human body wasn't meant to look like that, you know? And and I get there's things that are unattractive about different body types too, but I'm just saying that, uh, (laughs) I'm just saying that there's this like, this self-focused, like I'm going to build, build, build body. And I think we do that with our faith sometimes. It's a bodybuilder faith, right? We're just getting so deep in our investment in ourselves, right? But what Paul has is instead of a bodybuilding faith, he has a body faith, just a body faith. So 1 Corinthians 12, he talked about how we're actually all just members of one bigger body. And there's this one body, and like I might be a hand, and you might be an arm, and, you, and someone else might be an elbow, but like together we're a body, and the body building, the, the faith comes through what we all do together, and how we invest in each other, to, to the point that like my faith isn't complete just by being my faith, but it's like I need all of you. You are vital to my faith. I'm vital to your faith. We look at each other, and we're vital to each other. And so if we think of it that way, and I think that is how Paul views it, if we think of it that way, it's not that crazy for him to say, man, when I stand before the Lord, when he comes back, when he fixes everything, and I'm there in his presence, what am I going to be the most excited about? It's all of you, right? Because it was our faith. We, we, we shared it together. We worked together at it. We invested in each other in these ways. It's such a beautiful thought to me. And, and as, as I think about that, it's not just our strength. It also works in the reverse. It works in our weaknesses too, right? Because on an individual basis, we get spun out individually in thinking about how weak we are, right? We think about how much I, we fail, how much I struggle, right? How much I'm tempted, um, how much I doubt, right? And we kind of get into the spot where in our individualized faith, we go lower and lower and lower. And the body analogy helps us so much there too, because it's as I go lower and I see my weakness, I also have a brother or sister that I can grab their hand and they can help. We can be stronger together, right? We can help each other. And there's this investment where when I'm going lower, my brother or my sister is there to lift me up. And when they're going lower, I can be there to help lift them up too. And man, I I just, I want that so much for our church family. And I just have to say, I experienced that with all of you guys. Like I really have experienced this so much. So I think, of, I think of Lois Meyer, who's been a part of our church family forever, right? And my faith has grown so much in seeing her. She's instilled in me this, this value of prayer and the power of prayer and becoming more and more of a prayerful person. I, I know I myself am protected um, spiritually so much because of the prayers that she is constantly making on my behalf. It's a beautiful thing, right? I, I think of different people in here. I think of Kelly Hayes. I think of Deb Silva. I think of people that like have taught me by like not just my faith, but their faith about what it looks like to experience really difficult tragedy and still have this faith in the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. My, my faith gets expanded in it. I think of Jalise Owen, who's leading us in worship week after week. And, and through her, I'm seeing what it looks like to passionately worship the Lord without drawing attention to myself, just pouring it out there for him, wanting to see him get all the glory. There's so many stories, there's so many people I think of as I think of like, what is my, my own faith looks so different because of all of you guys. Getting to serve alongside, getting to see the people that just week after week are just quietly serving. Um, 
think of Sally Spath out there in the lobby just serving us coffee week after week, um, behind the scenes, quiet, beautiful service. It's awesome. And so Paul says, he looks at the people and he just says, look, you're my glory and joy. You're the thing that makes me happy. You're the thing that makes me look better. This is like, I can't do this by myself. And it's a reminder to us that it was worth it to Satan to oppose that, to hinder that, to try to put a roadblock in between that. Um, It's worth it for us to pursue. And now here's here's where he says, we're going to jump right into chapter 3. And he says this. He says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer... We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. So they had traveled by this point to Athens. And instead, he says, we sent Timothy, verse 2, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. So, so what's the purpose? Okay, love kind of draws us together. And he really wants to be with them. He loves them, wants to be with them. What's the purpose of that? What was he wanting to do in getting there together? He's saying it here. It's to build each other up. It's to exhort and strengthen each other. He wants to be there so they can kind of make each other stronger. They want to invest in each other. And, and I love what he says about Timothy. So, so they've, been, they've been chased from Thessalonica to Berea, and then from there they were chased out again, and they go to Athens. And when they're at Athens, he's like, we sent Timothy. But here's what's beautiful. Timothy came as not our coworker, not the person that's like with another like pastoral figure, but Timothy is God's coworker. And we sent him to find out, to invest, and to find out all these things. What's so beautiful about this is you think of like God working in the world, Okay. And what, God, what can God not do? I mean, he can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. He can transform hearts. Um, God does the impossible on the regular basis, right? And that's such a beautiful, good reminder. But here is God doing all these impossible things. And Paul's like, we sent Timothy, who is a coworker of God, okay? So he's putting Timothy and saying, what Timothy is doing on your behalf is the work of God, right? It's so valuable. It's so important. And so when we get sent into each other's lives like this, right? When we go, it means like we are in the same place. We are these coworkers of the Lord. It's God who does all the work, right? But we get this huge honor of getting raised to the spot of saying, yeah, like you are God's coworker. You're working beside God for the things that God is wanting to do. I mean, that's just such a big part of the way God works is he works most of the time through each other to, to kind of build and establish this foundation that we have with each other. And that's why, you know, we keep calling um, each other and, and reminding each other of the importance of this. But um, we talked uh, at the beginning of this year about, like, we want to build a discipleship culture within Creekside where we're just investing in each other. It doesn't mean that we all have the answers. It doesn't mean that like, hey, let's get the smartest people and have them teach everybody else. It's just saying, let's invest in each other. Let's go deeper in in this faith. Like let's lean into, we have these values of we're shaped by the gospel and everything. And and we want to foster a culture of love and invitation where we're opening up our lives and saying, let's dive into that gospel together, right? And a culture of, um, of like empowerment where we each use our gifts as God empowers. Like those things are what we want to foster so that we can be like this, God's co-workers, to reach into each other's lives and just help strengthen, help bring that foundation. And he says so that, so that nobody would be moved by these afflictions, right? To bring that stability so that when, they, when the, the hard things come, we've kind of built these things into each other's lives and we help keep things um, stronger and more confident. And here's where it gets tough, okay? Sometimes you wish Paul could just leave it off, but he goes on to say this in verse he says, you know, so, you know, we sent him to exhort you so that no one would be moved by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Okay. That is foreboding. 
You're destined for this. So think of it like think you're, you're eating at God's restaurant and he gives you the fortune cookie and you open it up, right? What's it going to say? You are destined for suffering, right? That's a hard word from the Lord, okay? He's saying you yourselves are destined. Like this is, this is what God has for you, right? What, what is God's destiny for your life? What is God predestined that will take place so that as you live your life, you're certain to experience this? It is suffering. He says you will experience suffering suffering. He goes on to say from there, you're, you're destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it, as it has come to pass and just as you know. So he says, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And so he's just saying, look, this is inevitable. I warned you so many times when I was with you, the suffering was coming. Look, it really has no surprise because God has destined this for us. This is in our future. We are going to suffer. Now, suffer is like a broad word. It's a really broad word. So it could mean like opposition. So um, someone, you know, finds out you're a Christian and they actively are persecuting you and opposing you. That's been true in the United States in different times. There may be a sense in some circles where that's happening now, but definitely worldwide, like God's people, those that want to follow Jesus, have been persecuted, put to death, all those kinds of crazy things. So there is this opposition, persecution happening that this word suffering encapsulates, but it also is a lot broader than that. And it also, it's broad enough to like include just like the, the, the distress that we feel, right? This internal anxiety that we feel. And so as we go through life, whether it's someone actively opposing us or it's just like life is hard, right? And we experience tragic things and we're broken ourselves and we hurt each other all the time. This suffering happens. We are going to experience. It is promised to us. And it shouldn't be a surprise because there's nowhere in the Bible, I, as much as I, like I think of my relationship with God sometimes, like um, a, he's a customer service representative, okay? So I call up the Lord in prayer, and I'm just like, Lord, I have a strained relationship right now. Um, I'm not very happy about it, and I'd like it to be fixed, okay? And the Lord says, I am so sorry to hear that. It shouldn't be that way. I'm going to make it right for you. You know, just stay on the line, and we'll work this out. Like, that is not... That is not how God does things, right? There's no promises like that. Now he promises to be with us, right? He promises to love us. He promises to bless us, all those kinds of things. But he never promises that we're not going to experience suffering and that he's there to make everything right for us, right? I, I see a bunch of you like um, first-time parents. I remember what it was like for me as a first-time parent. And uh, we had just Abigail. And especially when she like started getting on her feet for the first time, right? It was like, let's make every corner in this house soft, you know? So everything's padded. And the times where you just like dive across the floor to try to catch a falling child, you know, it's like the worst thing that could happen is the kid falls from like this high down to that high, you know? And you just, and I picture God like, you know, like, no, 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 don't let anything bad happen, right? Then you get a second kid and it's like, yeah, they can handle a few falls, right? And I've seen some of you with three, four, and five kids, and I know it just keeps going downhill from there. You just let them do whatever. <clears throat> God is not like that first-time parent just diving to save us from everything, right? But what he's doing is he's working in the midst of all of it, and he has his eye on a much bigger thing that he's working, and he gives us these gifts. So last week in the passage we looked at, the gift that he gives us to help us weather suffering is the word of God that comes into our hearts and it grows like seeds and it gives us this inner strength and this inner resource that when suffering happens, right, we have this, this word of God growing in us, transforming our minds and our hearts and enabling us to carry on. And this week he's saying, 
Look, we, he, we've been given each other in a sense, right? We have this deep love for each other, and it's that connection with each other, that love that we have, that longing for each other that helps us to endure this suffering that we experience. It's such a beautiful thing. And in, man, I, it, it's hard, right? Life is hard. The Christian life is hard. Following the Lord is hard. Um, but it also is extremely fulfilling. And I think that's the reminder, right? Is there, there is, when we work so hard to make our lives peaceful and comfortable, right? And nothing bad ever happens. We worth that. There's, there's like a, everything's fine on the outside, but there's like an internal death in our hearts that happens, I think, when we try to set up our whole life like that. But on the flip side, when, when we are like pursuing the Lord, and even when things are falling apart on the outside, there's sort of an external death that happens in the midst of our suffering. But inside, right, there's this life that comes um, through the Lord as he gives us these things. And so his, his prayer, his concern, he's like, I, I, I sent Timothy because I was afraid that the tempter had somehow tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And so I think this temptation looks like, um, you know, call, like tempting them to, to go against their conscience, right? Tempting them to walk away from the things of the Lord, tempting them to give up, right? And just say it's too hard. Um, these are the things that he's worried about. But, but what is so fascinating to me is, again, he's saying, I was afraid that the tempter would tempt you and, and like lead you astray so that he says our labor would be in vain, right? And again, it's not an individualized faith, right? Paul, Paul's like spiritual health and spiritual life is wrapped up in, man, if the tempter comes and leads you astray, that's gonna like, that's gonna have wasted so much of the effort that we put into this. They're, they're all tied together. And he's just seeing it that way and he's, he's not individualizing it, Right? So, so think of like, would, would you know, think of the people like literally sitting around you. Would you know if their faith was crumbling? Would you know, would you care if their faith was falling apart? If they were being tempted, led away, if, if they were going through suffering without anyone to bear, would we even know that that was happening? In so many cases, right, we wouldn't. We, we wouldn't know that it's happening. And, and I'm not saying this like shamefully or whatever. There's certain people that you would know. But, but man, so much of the way God has designed the body to be is that if we are a church family together, right, our lives begin to intertwine and overlap. We begin to invest in each other. And we be, can become the kind of person in someone's life where, where when they are beginning to experience that suffering, when they're, when they're ready to give up, when they are really hurting you're the one that they can reach out to and just say, look, you may not have an answer, but could you pray for me? My, like, I am hurting right now, right? Uh, to, to be that kind of person that's like, hey, I just experienced this tragic thing. Like, could we talk, you know? Like, overlapping our lives enough so that not only do people know, uh, know someone to reach out to and we can be there for each other, but man, like, the pain then gets shared, right? We carry it together. We're there for each other. It's a beautiful picture. And it takes, it takes investment in each other. And honestly, it takes some boldness, to, to sort of tie our faith to each other. See, we could all go through life with our own personal faith and work it out and be like our own bodybuilders and we all get to different strength levels internally with all that, right? But it takes a lot of courage to begin like tying our faith to each other and saying, okay, I want what's happening in my heart and my encounter and relationship with Jesus to be tied with what happens with you and with you and with you. And we do that it provides stability and strength, definitely, but it's scary because the problem is none of us are totally trustworthy, right? So you do it. You guys trust me with anything, and I promise you I'm going to hurt you on some level, right? Because um, I, I like, I, I'm kind, I'm gentle, I'm still human, and I fail, right? And I, and I, I, I forget things, right? I don't check in like I should. I, you know. So as we do that, as we tie our faith to each other, it becomes more stable, it becomes more healthy, there's a broader investment, but we will hurt each other. 
Like it will happen, right? But we have in that the resources for forgiveness and grace and healing and new starts and all those kinds of things. And I just love the picture that Paul is giving us here of a congregation, a group of people that he's just saying, man, you are going to suffer. I told you so many times it was going to happen. Let me remind you again, you're destined for it. It's going to happen. But, but man, like my faith is tied with yours. Like this idea of his labor in them being a big piece of what God wants to do is so beautiful. It, it reminds me that, man, we're, none of us is running alone, you know? So, so what's happening with me, right, is not independent of what happens with you. And, and I think of it this way, as, as, as Mark was sharing um, about uh, our partnership with Doxa Church. Like, it, it's amazing, because we're sitting here praying, and we're like, God, thank you so much for giving us this building. I mean, there was, there was like times when we were like, Lord, you performed a miracle, and you provided us with this building. It's incredible, right? And then we were in a season of like, oh man, our great ministry partners, Western Seminary, is leaving. God, what are you going to do? How are you going to provide for our needs? And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And like Mark said, meanwhile, we didn't know Doxa Church was like, God had put it in their hearts to start this classical academy and this, this beautiful thing there. And they kept getting no after no after no on like trying to find spaces. And they're praying, right? At the right time, God just puts us together and says, look, what I'm doing here is not independent of what I'm doing over there, right? Uh, they, yesterday, I was with a bunch of um, uh, people, like some of you guys and, and neighbors and everything at our neighborhood school, um, working to plant trees and stuff. And there were people there from Bayside Blue Oaks, and there were people there from Destiny Church. And we're working together side by side, right, for something that's in blessing of the community. And it just is such a good reminder to us that there's not, there's not competition from church to church. There shouldn't be, right? Um, it's a partnership from the community. There's not competition here of like, who's going to be the most spiritual or anything, right? We're tied together. And, and what happens with me, it, it should affect you, right? And what happens with you, it should affect me. The problem is when we isolate ourselves and we suffer alone and we don't tell anybody, like you can always tell me, also tell each other, right? Because we need to have that strength as a whole family. Um, so to open up ourselves and let ourselves be in there. And then also to begin to like create those relational investments that will lead us to have that invite to speak into each other's lives. And so I don't know what that looks like. I mean, it, it could look like uh, we have all kinds of beautiful things already in place. So we have gospel communities where we meet out in the community in different homes for meals and stuff. Like that's a great place to build these relationships so that when the hard things come, we're there for each other. Um, we have discipleship groups where you're, um, you're, you're getting together to study the word of God together. We have like a, a culture of discipleship that we're trying to generate where we're just individually inviting people and saying, hey, would you dig into this simple approach to scripture with me? Um, we want to see those things kind of happen. But as we do that, it might, it might be as simple as just someone that you interact with this morning, someone you've seen together, you know, seen in the lobby from time to time or whatever, just taking that step and just exchanging phone numbers, right? Get together for coffee or lunch or something. But all of these things are ways that we just begin to tie our faith together to, to dismantle the bodybuilding approach and just become a body together. So as we reflect on that, I want to invite Chelsea up um, to lead us. She's been so great at helping us to kind of reflect and process um, what, what we've uh, learned and, and gone. And she, she's one, again, that just drives me deeper into this, like, deepens my faith through inviting us to reflect. And so um, I'm thankful for us to have this time to have some space. Thanks, Chelsea.